Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And we have as our guest, the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, a fellow by the name of Christopher Chung. He's been with us several times before. He joined that organization in 2015 and uh, as the CEO, and he brings to North Carolina more than 20 years of state-level economic development uh, to this role and has been so successful in, in helping North Carolina uh, land an awful lot of new industry and new jobs, and, uh, develop a lot of uh, wonderful opportunity for a number of places all across the state. So, Christopher, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, I opened the program by saying, you know, sometime I'm a little bit uh, mad at Christopher because he's part of the problem of why we have so many wonderful jobs open in North Carolina. It makes it tough for the rest of us to find enough people to fill those jobs. So, Christopher, business is good in North Carolina. Well, first off, Don, it's always good to be with you. I, I hope you've been holding up well, uh, especially over these past 18 months. And uh, yeah, all kidding aside, uh, North Carolina has been very fortunate in spite of the pandemic to have welcomed a lot of companies who are either locating or expanding here. Obviously, right here in the Triangle region, there's been no bigger news on that front than companies like Apple deciding to set up a major, major operation. But you're right, what that does is it strains an already challenging labor market, which is clearly an employee's market right now. You and I were joking a little bit about that before the segment began, but if you're a job seeker with marketable skills, you're in a really enviable position right now, uh, even in a place like uh, North Carolina, where of course there's a lot of great job creation. So it's it's interesting times for sure. And I'm not sure these challenges are going to go away even once we're past the pandemic. Well, it's uh, it, as, it, as we joined together in saying earlier before the program started, there's good news and bad news in saying that because it does uh, create an awful lot of opportunity on one hand. On the other hand, it also creates a number of challenges. What's involved in, in uh, how long does it take a, a, a company like Apple to make a decision like they've made where they're making a huge investment, uh, a huge commitment? How, how long does this process take? That's a really great question, and there is no single answer to that. I, I think in Apple's case, right, the initial conversations with Apple's representatives, they, they were represented by a law firm here in the state called Parker Poe, a Raleigh-based attorney by the name of Bruce Thompson. Uh, Bruce first reached out to our organization in early 2018. Things moved pretty hot and heavy for about six months, and then they went very silent for about two and a half years. So it wasn't really until this spring that activity started back up. The company re-engaged the governor, the General Assembly leadership on some help around incentives and quickly put the deal together that enabled Apple to make that announcement. So in that case, you're talking three plus years. Uh, we have plenty of situations where it's a much, much shorter decision timetable. I would say for a manufacturing company that's looking at a new plant, you're probably looking on average about six to eight months from that first phone call where they're telling us we're in the running to hopefully they're up there on stage with the governor and with the Commerce Secretary and General Assembly announcing that they're coming to North Carolina. But we've seen them move as fast as six weeks. Uh, so it, it really just kind of depends on the company, the industry, and the project that's involved. So we talk about Apple coming in and it being a major impact. Let's talk a little bit about what the impact will be and how, how uh, we 
how those those factors are considered when we consider how much it's worth. So what what will be the impact of the Apple announcement? We want to talk about the Google campus also, which is also a big one. But let's talk about Apple first. Uh, so what will be the economic benefit to North Carolina short term and long term? Sure, of course. Well, uh, short term, of, of, of course, what's going to happen is the company is planning to construct a very new East Coast uh, base of operations. I mean, some people call it an East Coast hub, East Coast headquarters, whatever it is. It's, it's a very large building that will, that will house 3,000 employees at full build out that's going to be built in the in the heart of the research triangle park so in the short term of course you've got all that construction spending and construction employment involved with building that uh, east coast headquarters long term you've of course got 3,000 employees that apple will have on its payroll here in north carolina and what those 3,000 employees will make on average is quite a sizable annual wage certainly well above the average here for the region and why that's important is those employees, they'll be spending that money, hopefully locally in this economy, right? They'll be purchasing houses, they'll be buying clothes and going to restaurants, all of the sorts of things that we do with our disposable income. You've got all that additional economic impact that's coming from those 3,000 people who will work for Apple. Beyond the economic benefits, being home to a company like Apple, it's not like Apple is putting these types of technology centers everywhere in the country, right? They're, they are very selective and they have every right to be selective. The fact that they have chosen North Carolina and the Triangle, that really burnishes this region's image as a, a hub for technology companies to thrive and flourish. And that itself is going to help raise the region's profile for those future companies that are thinking about where they want to be, where they want to grow. And we're very confident that based on Apple's decision, they're going to look very closely at this part of the country. And of course, uh, you know, the economic benefit to the state, because those uh, 3000 people at very high salaries are going to be paying state income tax. So yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. There, there are ways to model this. And of course there's different calculations. Yeah. I, I, I neglected to say that, but yes, the state income taxes, of course, the sales taxes from all those goods that they purchase in the community, all of those things cascade into the state's coffers. It allows us to invest in infrastructure, education, and all those necessary services that are funded through tax revenues. Now, when I, I, I used to live in Laurenburg, and Laurenburg was very active in industrial development back in the 70s and 80s, and I was uh, privileged to work with the Chamber of Commerce uh, as a volunteer in uh, recruiting some of the plants. And at that time, I think we had a rule of thumb. I, I could be wrong, but the, every job you created with the primary employer, you created three additional jobs. Is there still a factor like that? In other words, the 3,000 employees that come in, how many more jobs does that create? Yeah, absolutely. There are ways to model that. And I think based on what Laurenburg was really successful tracking at that time is a lot of manufacturing and manufacturing, they call that the multiplier effect, right? For every direct job that a company comes in, creates how many additional jobs get induced to be created in the economy. And three to one sounds about right for manufacturing. Now it, it may be less for other types of functions, right? If a, if a retail facility opens up or a call center, those are not typically going to have that high of a multiplier. But for, for certainly manufacturing, especially something like automotive related manufacturing, that will tend to have a higher multiplier effect, which means, uh, to your point, just a much bigger ripple effect on the economy around the community that lands that company. 
Well, North Carolina had uh, a number of efforts to get uh, auto, automobile manufacturing, and we, we really weren't all that successful. I mean, some plants located in South Carolina and Alabama and some other places. Why have we been more successful in the high tech than the uh, manufacturing of automobiles, for example? Uh, well, I think in terms of technology, part of that goes back to the, the establishment of the Research Triangle brand, this this idea. And, and tech is, although we've got tech flourishing in lots of different parts of the, the state, I think the Triangle region tends to be most synonymous to the outside world with the technology sector. So let's just talk about the Research Triangle region and their success. I think a lot of that dates back to the creation of the Research Triangle Park, this idea that as a company that's interested in innovation, technology commercialization, you can plant your flag right here in between three world-class research universities. Uh, pick your pick your shade of blue, pick your shade of red, NC State, Chapel Hill, Duke University, let alone all the other colleges, universities, and whatnot. You really could draw from that type of highly educated talent. You could forge those partnerships with world-class research institutions. I think that's a big, still a big part of what makes this region attractive for technology companies. And to some extent, success begets success. So the more technology companies that eventually started, expanded, or located here, that creates a, a, an attractive effect to bring in additional companies that want to take advantage of that ecosystem, that want to take advantage of the workforce that's been built up there to support the tech industry. So at some point, it almost becomes a self-sustaining ecosystem that the region has developed. Automotive, that's a little bit different. Historically, the auto sector has developed a little farther west of here, uh, up and down the I-75 corridor, the I-65 corridor. Uh, that makes some difference in terms of where all the different auto parts suppliers are and where those auto parts suppliers are will dictate where assembly plants end up going. So the fact that we didn't land some of these assembly plants 20, 25 years ago, it means that future assembly plants uh, are, are going to be a little bit more drawn to where those supply chains are. Now, all that to say, electric vehicles, uh, automotive electrification, that's really changing the game. I mean, I think we are at the beginnings of uh, the next wave of where automotive assembly will take place centered around electric vehicle manufacturing. And not to get too much in the weeds, but I think some of the calculus on where those operations go uh, we may not be as it may not be as much a liability as what we experienced in the past being a little farther removed from some of the traditional automotive corridors so we are optimistic that we still have uh some great opportunities ahead in that sector uh of course that's going to be a lot easier to point to and we've got some uh, big name wins but uh, we are definitely not out of that game by any stretch of the imagination Compared to the Apple announcement, the Google campus uh, also is going to have a big impact. How do they compare? Well, Apple, of course, is larger. I mean, I think Google's commitment is something like a thousand uh, positions, which is nothing to sneeze at by any stretch. And again, you've also got a world name company uh, there. Uh, Apple did seek state and local incentives uh, as part of their decision making process. That's fairly typical. Google chose not to in that case. Um, I, I don't believe they select, uh, went after local incentives, and I know for sure they did not seek out state incentives. And so that's probably a reflection of how each company approaches these types of decisions. Uh, but that's for, for those people who watch things like public policy and incentives, that's kind of an interesting difference, right? I mean, Google certainly would have qualified 
for them, though, it, it may have been where they felt that that was not a necessary factor. Maybe they already knew Durham was where they wanted to be, whereas Apple may have had many other options. It's it's really hard to know, right? Sometimes we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily privy to why companies decide to act the way that they do. Our job is to cater to whatever needs they're telling us have to be addressed for them to choose North Carolina. And as you said, sometimes that's a six to eight month process. Sometimes it's a three to five year process. So it, it depends on the set of circumstances at the, the, the current time with the current company. Uh, it certainly does. I, I think in, in Google's instance, they actually had a, a PR uh, expert here in the region, a gentleman by the name of Billy Warden. I think he's one of their advisors, and I think he very much under the radar was starting to gather some information for Google to analyze uh, before they arrived at that decision that Durham was the right place. I, I'm sure that they were interested in the triangle for all the different reasons we talked about, but ultimately decided Durham was a, a better fit. So we're thrilled to see them, and we know they're going to contribute a lot to that technology ecosystem that we've got right here in North Carolina. Our guest is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Christopher to tell us about the origins of that particular organization and what they do and how they function and who funds them and who he answers to. And we'll do all of that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest, as we said in the last segment, is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And we talked in the first segment a lot about uh, the impact of the Apple and Google campuses coming to the Triangle of North Carolina and, and other aspects of what this means to the state of North Carolina and how it happens. Uh, before we go too much further, Chris, I'd like for you, if you would, to give us a little bit of background of how the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina was created, what its purpose is, who you answer to, and where your funding comes from. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, Don, always great to be with you. The organization is actually getting ready to commemorate its seventh birthday. It's hard to believe, but our doors opened in early October of 2014. So we are nearing that uh, seven-year birthday as of today. The organization was created essentially by spinning off a number of economic development responsibilities that historically sat inside the North Carolina Department of Commerce. That's a state government agency. But in 2014, after some legislation had been passed, uh, those functions uh, spun out of the department and were put into the hands of this new nonprofit organization, the, the EDPNC. Uh, so we are public-private. Uh, we have a contract with the state of North Carolina Department of Commerce to do this work on their behalf. Our mission includes functions like recruiting companies from outside the state to set up here. We also do work to support the existing, uh, the expansion of existing employers. We even do work like promoting the state for tourism and uh, leisure travel, as well as international trade. So essentially helping manufacturers to grow their exports around the world. Uh, I report myself as CEO to a, a board of directors. That board is appointed in part by the governor, as well as by leadership in the legislature. 90% uh, of our funding is coming through that contract with the state. So that's why those, those uh, executive and legislative branches get the chance to appoint uh, our board of directors who provide strategic guidance for the organization. We do raise private dollars though. Uh, so that other 10% of our budget, which is normally about $25 million a year total in a given year, uh, about 10% of that we, we receive through some federal grants uh, to fund some of our work, but also private fundraising. So think construction companies, uh, utilities, like Duke Energy, Dominion, the rural co-ops, uh, the municipal electrics, think uh, real estate developers, think um, architecture firms, law firms, banks. These are the types of entities that support our work financially, uh, anywhere from 5,000 a year up to 100, 150, 200,000 a year, depending on the investor. And what that does is that gives us additional resources to layer on top of public funding so that we can really go out there aggressively after the mission that we're entrusted with. The 17-member uh, uh, board that you work with, uh, they come from business and industry uh, leaders uh, across the state of North Carolina. Many of these people are sort of uh, uh, working against themselves in a way because they are bringing in, in many cases, industries that compete with themselves. Tell me why it's important for industry to, to have those kinds of attitudes where it seemingly everyone is in favor of growth. Well, I think there's a, a number of different reasons um, besides the argument that overall economic prosperity is good for any community. It's certainly far better than economic stagnation or shrinkage, right? I don't think anyone would ever argue that it's good to stay in place or decline economically. So growth always has to be uh, the end goal, I think, for a business and for a, a, a state economy. But beyond that, I think you, you go back to your earlier question in the previous segment about the impacts of companies like Apple and Google. Uh, those types of companies coming here and expanding in North Carolina, what that's going to do is engender an even bigger workforce that's uh, got the skills necessary to be successful in the technology sector. And if you're an existing employer, who benefits from having a much bigger workforce to hire from that has technology skills, having a, a, a Google or an Apple come in, in the near term, yeah, there may be some competition for that same talent base, but the presence of all these companies will ultimately spur 
a, a larger workforce that benefits all companies in that sector. It also makes it easier if, if you're a company that's already here in the region and you're in the technology industry, for example, uh, it makes it easier to recruit employees to work for you if they're trying to move here from somewhere else. If you can point to other firms being in the market that employ technology professionals, right? So if uh, basically to illustrate, if you're a technology professional in San Francisco and someone's asking you to come work in Raleigh, well, if there's only one technology employer there that can make use of your skills, you may be a lot more reluctant to move to Raleigh because if that job doesn't work out or you don't like your employer, you're kind of stuck, right? There's not really somewhere else you can work. But if you're moving to a market that's got dozens and dozens of technology employers, yeah, you may take that job today, but you know that in case it doesn't work out, you've got lots of other choices. And that makes it easier to convince those types of talented, skilled employees to make the move geographically to this part of the country. So that's yet another reason. Again, add to that the how this affects tax revenues, how that provides the government more ability to support businesses and population growth. There's a lot of documentable effects, but I know in the near term, like you say, there are some companies who will probably see this more as labor competition. Fortunately, our investors, our board of directors, they all see these types of, of growth opportunities as a good thing for North Carolina. You know, I think most North Carolinians look at the university system and think of undergraduate education as being their first and foremost responsibility. But I'm not sure that people in North Carolina have as a, 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 an appreciation of what NC State, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke, and some other colleges uh, do to the recruiting effort in North Carolina because of their uh, graduate programs and their research grants that they get from the federal government. They are a, uh, I mean, every year, just millions of dollars are coming in uh, to those, those three campuses and they, it's all spent right here at home. And, and it, it also brings a lot of people in. So it's an important part of what you, I guess, present to those who are looking to locate North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, beyond the opportunities for linkage between academia and private industry, you're right. As employers, as, as economic powerhouses in their own right, those universities have a tremendous impact on the, the state's economy and the region economy, let alone the fact that they are training our future, a, a good portion of our future uh, pipeline of talent and workforce. And I would be remiss in not mentioning, especially maybe not so much in the case of Apple and Google, but in a lot of the recruitment, the community college system and its 58 uh, campuses provide a great source of training for uh, intermediate sized companies, especially when they come into North Carolina, of relocating and retraining the workforce to work for those particular industries. So our community college system is a real gem. Uh, it is. Those 58 community colleges where they're no farther than 30 minutes away from any North Carolinian, they are absolutely a key part of what we put out there as as a big part of the workforce and talent equation. Uh, North Carolina did pioneer this approach of community colleges partnering with private industry to develop customized training unique to that employer. So you, know, you talk about some of the experience you had in Laurenburg with the chamber recruiting manufacturers back there. Uh, they, they no doubt even at that time were working with community colleges on how they could uh, upskill people to be successful in those positions. And that's a tradition that continues today. Uh, so yes, whether it's our four-year universities, our HBCUs, our community colleges, 
uh, some of the great programs where you can come out of K through 12 and go straight into the workforce. I mean, we want all of these to be available as options for North Carolinians to be able to fashion whatever career choice they need and, and give them the knowledge and foundation to be successful. We also, of course, are looking for employers that can hire from across those different types of educational backgrounds uh, because we know that there, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all in terms of what employers are looking for or what employees bring to the table. I suspect, uh, you know, we here in North Carolina don't uh, have the global perspective that uh, perhaps you have, but uh, many states are faced with the transition that we've made from being basically, I mean, 30 years ago, we were dependent on furniture manufacturing, textile, and tobacco manufacturing. And for the most part, those three industries have disappeared. But we've continued to grow and, and, and re, re, uh, reformat ourselves, so to speak. Uh, has any other state had the kind of success we've had of, of reformatting ourselves, redesigning our future? Relaunching ourselves? Uh, you know, you know I, I think looking at a couple of our neighbors, I, every state has had to do that, right? I mean, it just from a national perspective, the economy of the United States looks tremendously different today than it did 100, let alone 200 years ago. So it's, it's more than a North Carolina story, but I think few states can paint as stark of a difference, perhaps, as where North Carolina was relative to how recently the, the quote unquote old economy had still dominated. I, I think the triad region is a, a, a great example of this. I think the triad was among the most dependent on these three legacy industries, furniture in High Point, tobacco uh, products in Winston-Salem, uh, textiles uh, throughout the, the whole region. And they have had to deal with those very painful transitions in the late 90s, the early 2000s, as those industries globalized or went offshore. But you look at what they're doing today, uh, take their success, for example, in the aerospace and aviation industry. Companies like Heiko, HondaJet, uh, FedEx's operation, uh, a great amount of success going after and building that industry. You look at where, if, if we're ever going to land something significant in the automotive sector, I would wager that the triad region has a really good shot at it based on a concerted effort by their civic and business leaders to go after that industry given the region's manufacturing uh, experience and history. So I think that they are at a great microcosm of this pivot that North Carolina has had to make over the past 50 years from an economy dominated by, call it more labor intensive, uh, perhaps uh, you know, uh, industries that didn't require as much educational background or training to industries that do need those things to be successful. So uh, it's a fascinating story and, and it just tells us we shouldn't get complacent. Just because today our bread and butter in North Carolina are industries like tech and life sciences or financial services or aerospace, we shouldn't assume that that's going to be what the economy looks like 50 years from today, right? So it's always about how much are our leaders thinking, where do we go in these next few decades, not just these next few years. Of course, almost every one of those jobs that uh, we were talking about, furniture, tobacco manufacturing, textile paid far less uh, in hourly compensation than the jobs that uh, came in to replace them. And so it was a great trade. I mean, we, we, we grew in every area uh, as far as wages, and that's what's important uh, to a growing state. A, a great trade, absolutely, when you look at it that way. I think what, what made some of those jobs 50 years ago uh, 
enticing or, or um, beneficial was the fact that you, you didn't need much educational background, right? You, you may not have even needed a high school education in some of those instances, and yet you could still make a, a decent, maybe not a lavish, but a decent living. Uh, but of course, as the needs of industry evolve and develop, it's, it's harder and harder to get in those types of jobs. Today, for example, a modern manufacturing environment, uh, good, good luck getting that type of position uh, that pays 50, 60,000 a year without at least some type of credential, let alone a, a two-year degree or even sometimes a four-year degree. And, and that illustrates just the evolution of, of the, the economy towards more advanced types of, of backgrounds and skill sets. Well, I've got an awkward amount of time, so I'm not going to start a new topic, but I would like for you to comment uh, in the next segment or one of the next two segments on the future of those particular industries in North Carolina. Is there a place for textiles? Is there a place for furniture manufacturing? And is there a place for like tobacco manufacturing and other similar type jobs? Because those two are also part of our economy even today. Our guest is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some of the other challenges that we have in North Carolina as far as our growth. Uh, And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages here on Carolina Newspapers. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Christopher Chung, who's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And we're talking about the economic development of North Carolina, the recruitment of new industry and all that sort of thing. COVID-19 was an interesting set of circumstances for us to face. uh, And uh, we're still facing part of it. But it really hasn't slowed down the growth and the interest of uh, companies expanding, or at least it doesn't appear to. Uh, How about commenting on that and uh, what other changes have been brought about because of COVID-19? So uh, it's 
it's it's harder to answer in just one single uh, response, right? I mean, I think different parts of what we deal in in economic development have been affected differently by the pandemic. You take our work around tourism promotion, right, which is really about getting leisure travelers to come to North Carolina, spend their vacations and spend their vacation dollars on our small businesses. That, of course, has taken the biggest hit. We've bounced back in many ways, at least on leisure travel. Business travel is still very slow to recover because things like Zoom are taking the place of what used to be in-person meetings and travel. But leisure travel, especially 18 months in, looks a lot better than it did in the first few months of the pandemic. Long ways to go till I think that industry would say fully recovered. Uh, but on the flip side, when you look at our work in, in recruitment of companies to locate here, it has been gangbusters on manufacturing opportunities. So whether that's related to electric vehicle components, whether that's related to food and beverage products, whether that's life sciences, biotech, pharmaceutical, those are some of the industry sectors that have been among the most active for us in terms of North Carolina getting the chance to recruit even more of those jobs and facilities to the state. At the same time, something like, which is also business recruitment, something like what we normally would see pre-pandemic, which were corporate headquarter moves or big office projects where a company is coming in and setting up a, a brand new divisional office or, thing, or something like that. Notwithstanding Apple and Google's announcements, we just haven't seen a lot of that type of office activity uh, lately. And that's been true throughout the entire pandemic, which I think in part, is due to the fact that companies are still trying to navigate how frequently will they need people in the office? What will that look like? Is it five days a week? Is it three days a week? Do they need them all in one single location? The pandemic has really upended a lot of what used to be conventional wisdom about how work gets done in, in the workplace. And we see that reflected in the types of deals that we get the chance to compete for. So as I said, depending on what aspect of our work you're talking about, COVID has looked and felt quite different uh, in, in each of those areas. I mean, it really is fascinating. It's defied a lot of our expectations. If you go back to March 2020 and what we thought would happen in many times, it's almost been the exact opposite uh, of what we assumed early on in this situation. Well, I think we've all learned an awful lot of lessons, some of which have been really good ones to learn. For example, we're doing this broadcast by Zoom. Uh, <laughs> we are. Normally, you'd have to come to the studio and I'd you know, we'd have a time. And so it's, it, it's saved a lot of time, made it a lot more convenient for guests and so forth. And that's a good thing. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, we still miss the personal contact from time to time. Let me ask you another question about North Carolina. Of course, most of the growth that is occurring in North Carolina is happening in about 20 of the counties, uh, 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 counties that either adjacent to Wake or in uh, Wake and Durham. Uh, uh, near Greensboro, uh, or Guilford, and, and uh, Forsyth, and around Charlotte. Uh, those, those 20 counties or so are growing like leaps and bounds. And yet we've got 80 counties, uh, some of which are practically in a depression. How do you uh, try to solve some of those problems to get some growth going in those more economically challenged areas? Well, it, well, it's not easy, right? I mean, I think if anyone could wave a magic wand and ensure that our rural uh, areas shared in that prosperity, that would have been done a, a long time ago. And, and I think what that just says is it's not easy and it's not any one entity that can directly affect that outcome. 
it's a combination of issues, right? I mean, I, I think we've looked at this issue ourselves and it's it's not where even and we have had successes involving rural communities that have attracted a new employer they've recruited a new manufacturing entity or a new food processing facility those are certainly successes that should be celebrated because their jobs being created in those rural areas but that is by no means a comprehensive solution in fact the solutions for rural areas and it doesn't matter if it's in north carolina or somewhere else in the united states it really goes back to ensuring that these communities have sound fundamentals in areas like education in areas like infrastructure in areas like uh, health care i mean you're talking about ensuring that these places have a certain level of quality of life and amenities that will keep people there or hopefully even attract people to locate there and and that is not easy i, I had coffee this meet a morning with uh, someone in the education industry and the challenge for a lot of rural areas to attract qualified teachers again if, if we're assuming education is a foundation for these communities to be competitive so that they're cranking out a a a workforce that can be knowledgeable, trainable, etc. I mean, that really begins with K through 12 education, but you're not going to be very successful doing K through 12 education if you don't have qualified teachers in the room. And it, it may not even necessarily be a, an issue of teacher pay, although that's a big part of it in rural areas. It's, it's also, if I'm a qualified, skilled teacher, why wouldn't I go work in a, a carry or an apex? Why, why would I go to a more rural area, right? I mean, I think there's going to be challenges getting teachers to move to some of our rural communities without some incentive, without addressing things like housing, right? If you're a young person, where are you going to live if you go live in pick your rural county, North Carolina, it's, and you may be the only young person there. And is, is that an attractive proposition? It just, it, it's one of many, many examples that highlights how difficult it is for rural communities anywhere in the U.S., maybe even anywhere in the world. It's not unique to North Carolina, but that doesn't make it any easier to solve. We can do our part through our work, but that is just one very, very small facet of the, the bigger picture here. A number of years ago, uh, there was a, a lot of interest in something called the Global Trans Park which is located in uh, or near Kinston, North Carolina. And the idea was to build a big airport and uh, companies could fly in and out and fly right up to their office or their manufacturing facility. That concept has not really worked out as well as it was hoped. Is there hope to resurrect that or, and to keep developing it? it? It's, you know, it's developed a little bit, but not anywhere close to what people were expecting. Yeah, yeah, you know, not having been here at the time the concept was was launched in the 90s, it's, it's hard for me to uh, speak to what was envisioned and what people thought would, would develop here 30 some years later. Uh, I, the, the concept of having airport adjacent development is, is certainly not a, not a bad one, right? I mean, if you're manufacturing aircraft or certain types of defense related products or something in the aviation industry, or if you're doing uh, what they call MRO, maintenance, repair, and overhaul work. Basically, planes have to get serviced every so often to make sure that they're still FAA compliant. Uh, you need to be adjacent to an, an airport runway. And so the, the idea of a long airstrip that has plenty of land next door for companies and industry to locate, that is uh, in itself a good concept that makes good sense for the aerospace industry. Now, 
Uh, have they had as much success as they envisioned? I can't really speak to that. I know that companies like Spirit Aerosystems are out there today. You've got some MRO operations on the smaller scale that are out there. You've got some private jet operators who have put operations uh, in GTP. Um, I, I think for us, it's more about if, if tomorrow uh, a major aircraft manufacturer landed on our doorstep and said, North Carolina's in our sights. We're interested in the state for our next manufacturing facility. GTP certainly gives us one great option. We'd have to, of course, address where's the workforce going to come from? Is it an educated workforce? All those normal questions. But to have that runway, to have the adjacent land for development, that is something not every state has available. Now, we also are lucky to have another option over by PTI Airport in Greensboro. They've also been very intentional about industrial development next to their runways for the aerospace industry. So to be able to have at least two really good options for companies in that sector to look at, that's not a bad position to be in. Now, what we can't control, of course, is when is that company going to show up looking at North Carolina? But we know that when they do, we're going to have some compelling choices for them to look at. Well, I've got to put in a plug for the Larbert Maxton Airport, because that was uh... – <laughs> If you go all the way back to World War II, that was a glider base. So, so uh, because it was a glider base, they have unusually long runways for a market that size. And uh, when you fly over it from time to time, you think it's a major airport. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, that, this is not to diminish. I mean, there, we have a lot of municipal, I think 72 municipal general aviation airports. And you're right. It, it really kind of depends on the situation. But that them, those themselves can be assets in, in the right situations besides facilitating air travel to and from a lot of these communities. So, uh, like I said, it, getting those opportunities, those types of companies interested in North Carolina, that's the part that's really a little bit harder to predict. So what are the greatest needs of startups uh, that might be interested in some of the more rural counties of North Carolina? Well, it will depend on the type of startup, right? I mean, a, a startup can take many forms, right? It could be a CrossFit studio. It could be a, an app developer. It, it could be, a, you know, a, a landscaping business, right? So startup is really just any kind of new business. So of course, you're going to, there are going to be things like, well, is there a sufficient market there, right? Is there... Uh, is that does that location make sense from an operating standpoint? Uh, assuming that's the case, I think for most startups, a key issue early on is funding. I mean, it takes money to build up a business, to develop a plan, to start those first sales. And so capital is one of those most often cited needs by startup uh, leaders and entrepreneurs. Mentorship can also be a pretty, uh, you know, overlooked issue for, for companies. If, if they've not done this before, you, you've got, of course, a lot of successful serial entrepreneurs who've done this over and over and could do another startup in their sleep. But most entrepreneurs do tend to be first time. Like they have decided that the working for some company isn't their lifestyle choice. They want to be their own boss. They want to start their own business. If they haven't done that before, mentorship is really important. Uh, whether that's other people who have done it in their industry, or whether it's just someone who started their own business successfully, just understanding what those pitfalls are to avoid early on in a new company's life cycle. That's an often overlooked need that many entrepreneurs benefit from. And then of course, facilities, uh, whether you're developing food products and you need something like a uh, commercialization facility, uh, whether you're uh, just doing some sort of technology 
uh, business and, and having access to something like a co-working uh, operation. I mean, those types of facilities, depending on the circumstance, can also be pretty important for those early stage companies. Really, I, I hate to be coy, but it really depends on that particular entrepreneur's situation. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, what about uh, tourism? I, uh, you mentioned that that is also a very important part of North Carolina because we have the mountains and we have the coast. And those are areas that without tourism would be uh, far more uh, less optimistic about their future than they are now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about rural North Carolina and some of their challenges. Well, it, it just so happens that many of our rural areas tend to have some of these natural attractions that are so uh are such a big draw for tourists and visitors, uh, places like the Outer Banks, which we love, or places like our Smoky Mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains. Those are rural areas. They may not get an Apple campus or a big auto manufacturing plant. For them, economic development is driven a lot by tourism. Um, and so it, it is a, a great asset for us to have. Um, I think that it's one of those things where right now, post-pandemic, uh, we really need to make sure that a lot of those small businesses that saw so much of their revenue dry up early on, that there's an opportunity for them to rebuild uh, or for new entrepreneurs to take the place of those businesses that unfortunately did not get past the pandemic. It's not going to be an easy thing, but like you said, tourism is big business in North Carolina. Christopher Chung is our guest. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And uh, we've got one final segment coming up. And in that segment, we want to talk about uh, the importance of Charlotte as a financial center. We want to talk about legislation that is affecting business in the next, on both the state level and the federal level. And we'll talk about both of those topics when we return with the next segment. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Christopher Chung, and uh, he's been with us the entire segment. He is the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. We talked about all sorts of things, including the, the impact of the Apple and Google campuses coming to North Carolina. We've talked about recruiting new industry and, and the effect of the COVID-19 on this whole process. We've talked about all sorts of interesting things. So if you've missed 
these earlier segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear a repeat of the entire broadcast or share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And if you happen to be one of the stations that has the uh, 30-minute version of the program, there are two additional segments, and they're also available for you on carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for everything you've talked about. We've talked about a lot of things as far as benefits of North Carolina. We talked about the importance of the university system, the community college system, and uh, the high-tech uh, stuff that's happening in the research triangle. But we haven't talked about the importance of Charlotte as a financial center because most states don't have the uh, financial centers that we have in North Carolina. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, I, I think Charlotte, um, the, the, the image that Charlotte projects to the world is certainly of a financial capital, of a banking capital. And at a minimum, what that does is that if you're any kind of company in that industry, and you're looking across the map of the U.S. to determine where your future growth will be, it, it, essentially, it would be foolish to overlook Charlotte just because it is such an established hub for that industry sector. Um, and I think that's what you've seen, right? I mean, I think, uh, of course, Charlotte being a longtime home to Bank of America, uh, having a huge outpost of Wells Fargo, uh, then picking up a couple of years ago the, the merged headquarters of BB&T and SunTrust in the form of Truist. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason Truist picked that, right? They knew that that was a big part of the fabric in Charlotte, that they knew that the workforce was there to support a, a banking industry leader. Now, at the same time, I think it's important for the leaders in Charlotte as they've been doing to make sure that they diversify the economy. It is great to be known and seen as, as North Carolina or, or the U.S. is uh, one of the U.S.'s major banking hubs, but you don't necessarily want to be typecast into just having excellence in those areas. Uh, Norwood, for example, and Asheville, right? Asheville is a beautiful tourism destination, but Asheville wants to uh, industries to know that there's more to Asheville than just tourism, right? There's a very strong aerospace industry there, for example. So I think for Charlotte, it's about how do they, how do they take all those things that make them attractive to the banking industry, but leverage those assets and advantages to lure in other types of employers. And for them, technology, not necessarily banking technology, but just technology uh, jobs and employment in general, that's something they've really been setting their sights on over the past several years with, with some good successes here. Um, I think they would like to rival the triangle in terms of that national reputation as a tech hub. They may be starting off in a different place, but they have one of the most powerful advantages you could have if you're trying to go after tech, which is high population growth that is fueled by people moving in from somewhere else that tend to be higher educated and younger. That alone makes the market extremely attractive for a lot of technology companies that want to hire millennials. They want to make sure that the talent pool they're fishing from is growing deeper and deeper. And that's exactly what Charlotte offers. It's not exclusively a benefit just available to financial companies. It really can help them leverage that success and, and build other industries that are uh, maybe not as associated with the Charlotte region right now. One of the things that uh, I think is important to North Carolina is uh, this matter of, of spacing. We're, we're kind of lucky that the Raleigh-Durham area, the Greensboro area, and the Charlotte area are sort of conveniently located about 90 to 100 miles away from each other. And that actually allows each to have its own uh, uh, area of influence uh, without being totally dependent or uh, 
uh, tied to the other. And that's, that's got to be an advantage to you. It is having done this type of work in in other states. Absolutely, I mean we've got these three very potent engines of economic growth. I mean they collectively those three metros: the Triangle, the Triad, and the Charlotte region. I forget the exact number, but it's something like seventy, eighty percent maybe of our population and economic activity concentrated up and down that I eighty five corridor. And you're right; they are dis- while they are close in proximity, they are distinctly different enough that they actually don't come into competition as much as people sometimes assume is the case. They, I, I know I get a lot of questions like, oh gosh, well, what's it like to try to, to, to mediate a, a competition between Charlotte and Raleigh for X and XYZ company? And surprisingly, it really doesn't happen all that much because the types of companies that each market tends to appeal to are just different enough that they tend not to include the other two of the three metros in their search. And that's certainly, I think, what I hope that does is it it enables those leaders in those three markets to not feel like they have to always be competitors, but that in fact they can join forces and try to make North Carolina as a whole more competitive, and not not think that somehow that has to be to the detriment of their own regions because you know the Triangle or the Triad or Charlotte will scoop up all that additional economic benefit. But it is kind of interesting. I I would not have necessarily thought that to be the case before I moved here seven years ago, but I have seen that firsthand that they actually do not compete all that much. Well, we also have a legislature that has worked very diligently in the last 10 years to lower tax rates and to make the state a little bit more business friendly. Uh, uh, How would you rate North Carolina as far as a business friendly state compared to the competitors that we might have? Well, I I think the the third party rankings and in pick your poison. There are plenty to choose from. We are consistently top 10, if, if not top five, if, if not even top three in, in recent years. And whether that's uh, Forbes or Fortune or CNBC or Chief Executive Magazine or Site Selection, we are consistently ranked both based on subjective perception as well as objective metrics. We are consistently ranked among the best business climates, and it's it's usually the same folks that are in that mix too, right? I, you know, Tennessee, Texas are typically up there. Utah, uh, depending on the the study, Virginia uh, does very well. Taxes, no doubt, are are a big part of that, right? I mean, I think that's why you see some business backlash against business climates like Illinois, New Jersey, and California. Uh, Look, I think people understand that to run uh, government, whether that's schools, whether that's infrastructure, you need some amount of revenue to pay for that. And and that revenue has to come from somewhere. So no taxes on anything would not be a good recipe for funding the things that businesses and people depend on. But there can be a point at which those those taxes are perceived as too much of a burden on businesses and the jobs they're trying to create. North Carolina, I think, has struck a good balance right now. I'd say while taxes will come up, from time to time in conversation, workforce is the biggest issue. I mean, that, that is by far and away the number one thing that we are hearing in our conversations with companies is where are my future workers going to come from? What are you doing both to graduate them from colleges and universities today, as well as educate that future pipeline in your K through 12? And what that suggests is that while you could still trim taxes back theoretically, it's probably just as maybe even more important to invest long term in things like education. Uh, Like, how are we going to make sure that all these jobs that have been announced, uh, how are we going to make sure that there are qualified, skilled North Carolinians to fill them? And if there's not enough 
of North Carolinians to fill them, then we're going to have to be okay with people moving here from somewhere else to take those jobs. That's not bad either, but let's try to make sure that any North Carolinian who graduates from a school here in North Carolina has a job right here in North Carolina. And to some extent, whether we can do that is going to be dictated by how educated they are coming out of our system. Do they have the skills? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have the foundation that companies are going to be looking for? So it's uh, not an easy question, right? There's a lot of nuances here. Taxes are just one part of it. But right now, human capital is the biggest issue that we are hearing in our day-to-day -day conversations. So looking ahead at North Carolina, you're, almost everything you've said so far in the entire program leads us to believe that, uh, or leads me to believe that the kind of growth we've seen the last five or six years is not going to stop. It's going to continue probably along the same path it's done so we can look for continued growth. I'm bullish about, I mean, look, I, I moved here seven years ago, not only because professionally the EDPNC was, was the type of opportunity I, I was really drawn to, but, but personally, it, it was a state that looked to me, again, I don't have roots or connections here. I moved here just seven years ago. It looked to me like the kind of state that had really strong fundamentals. And that has been every bit the case that I've personally experienced now these past seven years. I think those fundamentals, maybe they got knocked a little bit off track during the pandemic, but frankly, that's probably been true in a lot of places. I think the long-term foundation that North Carolina has, especially up and down I-85, really, really strong. And I think that's going to continue to resonate with companies that are thinking about where they want to grow. I, I No offense to the people who come from these parts of the country, but the, the Northeast, the, the Midwest, it's, it's, and I come from the Midwest. I, I hate to see this from my home state, but that, that's just not where a lot of companies really look to for their future growth. They are looking to places like North Carolina, to Texas, to Arizona. Um, those are the future hotspots of economic development and growth. And the fact that we get to play and role in that here in North Carolina, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a true privilege every day that we get to do this work on the state's behalf. Corporate headquarters are always a big thing. Do we, uh, uh, we don't have as many corporate headquarters as probably we'd like. What, what's the future there? That'll be really interesting because I, I think the way I would have answered that before the pandemic, it might be very different than how I look at it today. And, and like I said earlier on, a lot of that just has to do with how companies are thinking about the workplace and, and whether they feel, feel like they can go completely virtual. Do they even need a physical headquarters? I think if, if they decide that a physical headquarters still makes sense, then I think it goes back to some of those fundamentals that headquarters are looking for. They need to make sure that uh, you've got good international air service. Most corporate headquarters send their employees far and wide and they host visitors from all over the place. Uh, you wanna make sure that it's got a, a quality of life that's acceptable to those types of executives. Executives, they tend to be of course very affluent. They wanna make sure that they're living in a place where they want to spend their time and spend their money. Uh, in some cases, companies may be looking for communities that have other corporate headquarters like theirs um, because of the talent pool that that represents. Uh, all of those things are going to continue to be important if companies decide that corporate headquarters have to be set in one physical location. So hopefully we'll get the chance to compete for even more of those. I know that right now, as I said, we're not seeing a tremendous amount of that activity. We are seeing much more manufacturing in industrial but I'm confident that many of those same fundamentals that I spoke to a minute ago 
if we start to see corporate headquarters come back more as a share of our activity, we're going to be, we're still going to be very well positioned because of our talent pool, our universities, our population growth. So fingers crossed that we get to see that bear out. Christopher, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed hearing uh, your comments and appreciate your candidness. And thank you so much. And we'll look forward to visiting with you again soon. Great to be with you, The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us on the same group of stations all across North Carolina again next week. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.